Chapter 8 of the Bothi of Topor Nafuyasich by Arthur Clough. This LibriVox recording is part of the public domain. But a revulsion again came over the spirit of Elspie when she thought of his wealth, his birth, and education. Wealth indeed, but small, though to her a difference truly. Father nor mother had Philip, a thousand pounds his portion somewhat impaired in the world where nothing is had for nothing. Fortune indeed, but small, and prospects plain and simple. But the many things that he knew, and the ease of the practice intellect's motion, and all those indefinable graces, were they not hers too, Philip, to speech and manner and movement, lent by the knowledge of self and wisely instructed feeling? When she thought of all these, and these contemplated daily, daily appreciating more, and more exactly appraising. With these thoughts, and the terror withal of everything she could not do, estimate of a step, such a step, and dark to be taken, terror nameless and ill understood of deserting her station, daily heavier, heavier upon her pressed the sorrow, daily distincter, distincter within her arose the conviction. He was too high, too perfect, and she so unfit, so unworthy. Ah, me, Philip, that ever a word such as that should be written. It would not do for him, nor her. She also was something. Not much indeed indifferent, yet not to be lightly extinguished. Should he, he, have a wife beneath him, herself being inferior, where only equality can be? It would do neither for him nor her. Alas, for Philip. Many were tears in great perplexity. Nor had he availed then all his prayer and all his device. But much was spoken now between Adam and Elpsby, companions they were hourly. Much by Elpsby to Adam, inquiring, anxiously speaking from his experience, seeking an impartial, accurate statement, what it was to do this or do that, go hither or thither. How in the afterlife would seem what now seeming certain might so soon be reversed, in her quest and obscure exploring still from that quiet orb soliciting light to her footsteps, much by Elspie to Adam, inquiring, eagerly seeking, much by Adam to Elspie, informing, reassuring, much though sweet to Elspie, by Adam, heedfully speaking, quietly, indirectly, in general terms of Philip, gravely, but indirectly, not as incosniant wholly, but as suspending until she could seek it, direct imitation. Much that was sweet in her heart of what he was and would be, much that was strength to her mind confirming beliefs and insights, pure and unfaltering, but young and mute and timid for action, much of relations of rich and poor and true education. It was Saturday Eve, in the gorgeous spread October. Then when brackens are changed, and heather blooms are faded, and amid russet of heather and fern green trees are bonny, alders and greens and oaks, the rowan scarlet and yellow, one great glory of gold pieces appears aspen, and the jewels of the gold that were hung in the hair of the birch tree pendulous here and there her coronet necklace and earrings cover her now o'er and o'er 
she's weary and scatters them from her. There, upon Saturday eve, in a gorgeous bright October, under the alders knitting, gave Elpsby her troth to Philip, for they talked anon, she said. It is well, Mr. Philip. Yes, very well. I have spoken, and learned a deal with the teacher. At the last I told him all. I could not help it. It came easier with him than could have been with my father, and he calmly approved, as one that had fully considered, yes, it is well, I have hoped, though quite too great and sudden. I am so fearful. I think it ought not to be for years yet. I am afraid, but believe in you, and trust to the teacher. You have done all things gravely and temperate, not as in passion. The teacher is prudent, and surely can tell what is likely. What my father will say, I know not. We will obey him. But for myself, I could dare to believe is all well, and venture. Oh, Mr. Philip, may it never hereafter seem to be different. And she hid her face. Oh, where, but in Philip's bosom. After some silence, some tears too, perchance, Philip laughed and said to her, So my own Elspie, at last you are clear that I am bad enough for you? Ah, but your father won't make one half question about it. You have. He'll think me, I know, nor better nor worse than Donald. Neither better nor worse for my gentlemanship and bookwork. Worse, I fear, as he knows me an idle and vagabond fellow. Though he allows, but he'll think it was all for your sake, Elpsby. Though he allows, I did some good at the end of the shearing. But I had thought in Scotland you didn't care for this folly. How I wish, he said. You had lived all your days in the Highlands. This is what comes of the year you spent in our foolish England. You do not all of you feel these fancies. No, she answered. And her spirit, the freedom and the ancient joy, was reviving. No, she said, and uplifted herself and looked for a knitting. No, nor do I, dear Philip. I don't myself feel always, as I have felt, more sorrow for me these four days lately. Like the Peruvian Indians I read about last winter, out in America there, in somebody's life of Pizarro, who were as good, perhaps, as the Spaniards, only weaker, and that the one big tree might spread its roots and branches, all the lesser about it must even be felled and perish. No, I feel much more as if I, as well as you were, somewhere, a leaf on one great tree, that up from old time growing contains itself the whole of virtue and, of li and life of bygone days, drawing now to itself all kindreds and nations, and must have for itself the whole world for its roots and branches. No, I belong to the tree. I shall not decay in shadow. Yes, I feel the life juices of all the world and the ages coming to me as to you, more slowly, no doubt, and poorer. You are more near, but then you will help to convey them to me. No, don't smile, Philip, now, so scornfully. Well, you look so, scornful and strong, I feel as if I were standing and trembling, fancying the burn 
in the dark, a wide and rushing river. And I feel coming into me, from you, or perhaps from elsewhere, strong contemptuous resolve. I forget, and I bound as across it. But after all, you know, it may be a dangerous river. Oh, if you were so, Elsby, he said, I can carry you over. Nay, she replied, would you tire of having me for a burthen? Oh, sweet burthen, he said, and you are not light as a feather. But it is deep, very likely, she said, over head and ears too. Oh, let us try, he answered. The waters themselves will support us. Yeah, very ripples and waves will form to a boat underneath us. There is a boat, he said, and a name is written upon it. Love, he said, and kissed her. But I will read your books, though, said she. You'll leave me some, Philip. Not I, he replied, a volume. This is the way with you all, I perceive, high and low together. Women must read, as if they didn't know all beforehand. Weary of plying the pump, we turn to the running water, and the running spring will needs to have a pump built on it. Weary and sick of our books, we come to repose in your eyesight, as to the woodland and water, the freshness and beauty of nature. Lo, you will talk, forsooth, of all things we are sick to death of. What, she said, if I have let you become my sweetheart, I am to read no books, but you may go your ways then. And I will read, she said, with my father at home as I used to. If you must have it, he said, I will read them to you. Well, she said, but no, I will read them myself when I choose it. What, you suppose we never read anything here in our highlands? Bella and I, with father, in all winter evenings. But we must go, Mr. Philip. I shall not go at all, said he, if you call me Mr. Thank heaven, that's well over. No, but it's not, she said. It's not over, nor will it be. Was it not then, she asked, the name I called you first by? No, Mr. Philip, no. You have kissed me enough for two nights. No, come, Philip. Come or I'll go myself without you. You never call me Philip, he answered, until I kiss you. As they went home by the moon that waning, now rose later, stepping through mossy stones by the runnel under the alders. Loitering unconsciously, Philip, she said, I will not be a lady. We will do work together. You do not wish me a lady. It is a weakness, perhaps, and a foolishness. Still it is so. I cannot bear to be served and waited upon by footmen. No, not even by a woman. And God forbid, he answered, God forbid you sh should ever aught but yourself my Alps be. As for service, I love it not. I, your weakness is mine too. I'm sure Adam told you as much about that, about me. I'm sure, she said. He called you a wild and flighty. That is true, he said. To my wings were clipped by Elspie. But my Elspie, he said, you would like to see, I fancy, something of the world, of men and women. You will not refuse me. You will one day come with me and see my uncle and cousins, 
sister and brother, and brother's wife. You should go if you liked it. Just as you are. Just what you are. At any rate, my Elspie. Yes, we will go, and give the old psalm gently stage play. One look, to leave it with the more satisfaction. That it may be, Philip, she said. You are good to think of it. But we are letting our fancies run on indeed. After all, it may come, you know, Mr. Philip, to nothing whatever. There is so much that needs to be done, so much that may happen. All that needs to be done, he said, shall be done, and quickly. And on the morrow he took good heart and spoke with David. Not unwarned the father, nor had been unperceiving, fearful much, but in all from the first reassuring by Adam, in the first few days after Philip came to the Bothy, they had become hearty friends, full of trust the one in the other. And in these last three he had talked with him much and tried him. And he remembered how at the first he had liked the lad, and then too the old man's eye was much more inner than outer, and the natural tune of his heart, without misgiving, went to the noble words of the grand song of the lowlands. Rank is the Guinness stamp, but the man's a man for that. Still he was doubtful, would hear nothing of it now, but insisted Philip should go to his books if he chose. He might write, if after ch chose to return, might come, he truly believed him honest. But a year must elapse, and many things might happen. Yet at the end he burst into tears, called Elpsy, and blessed them. Elpsy, my bairn, he said, I thought not, when at the doorway, standing with you and telling the young man to come and see us. I did not think he would one day be asking me here to surrender, what is to me more than my wealth and my bathy of Tober End of chapter 8